Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. I would love for us to have the resources to actually support candidates and to support people uh, as they run for office. I would love for it to also be uh, a networking organization where we can say, you know, Build the Bench is hosting a happy hour uh, in X part of the state. Come out and out and meet people, meet the movers and shakers in your region, uh, get connected, um, make some relationships, and you can run for office uh, also. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. Today on Crossing Division, we have a really interesting guest. I am so pleased to welcome Girmai Zahalai, who is a King County Council member and an attorney and someone who just, um, well, in my opinion, does so much to organize and to reach out and take care of his community and is young, too. So I think that is a, an amazing combination. Um, Girmai, I wanted you to come on this, and I should say, you know, one of your um, team, Aaron Sherman, reached out to me uh, to have you talk about the Build the Bench program that you have coming up here in Tacoma on November 20th. So before we start talking in detail about Build the Bench, I want you to give me some background on yourself and your path to politics. Tell me how you got where you are now. Yeah, I'd be happy to. First of all, you called me young, which uh, is flattering because I don't <laughs> feel that young anymore after <laughs> the two years that we've just had together. Yeah, I mean, it's aged all of us. But, you know, I, I think uh, one of the prerogatives that I have of being sort of the podcast auntie is that all of all of the guests are sort of young to me. First of all, you should change your, uh, your Twitter handle to podcast auntie. I like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so my name is Germay. Thank you for saying my name right. Uh, I was born in Sudan because my parents fled Ethiopia during a civil war in the 80s and they crossed the border into Sudan to seek refuge and that's where I was born. When I was three years old, we boarded a plane, flew across the Atlantic, and I grew up in South Seattle since I was three years old. I grew up in public housing, low-income public housing. I went to public schools in the Seattle public school system. And I've just seen a lot of the ways that our region doesn't work for low income people, for working people. I'm the son of a single mom who had to work two or three jobs at a time for decades to raise her children. And so um, I've just seen what needs to improve and what needs to what we need to do better collectively in order to make sure that this is a welcoming region where everybody can thrive here. Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate enough to represent the district where I was raised so I can really make an impact for the very people who I grew up around and saw struggling. And I consider that an honor and a privilege and something that I don't take lightly. Yeah. You know, um, I have a different immigrant story, uh, quite different, but I also was three when my family moved here. My dad was from New Zealand, and that's where I was born, and my mm. mom was from California. And mm. I think 
growing up um, as an immigrant coming from different cultures, it allows you to sort of look at everything around you with a bit of a um, skeptical eye. You know, mm-hmm. you can really look at things and and it, it's easy to just always question, you know, why is it this way and why can't it be better? Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. We we have so many things that we need to improve and I'm happy to, I'm excited to get into that with you mm-hmm. today. Well, what prompted you? So you were an attorney at Perkins Coie. I had looked at right. your website and what prompted you to decide, okay, this is my moment. I'm going to run for King County Council. So I grew up in South Seattle, uh, basically my whole life, but I went, I left town for college and then for law school and also started my first job after law school in New York City. And there were, there was a period when I was living in New York and every year that I came back to Seattle to visit for the holidays or whatever it was, I was just able to see how dramatically things were changing in the South Seattle where I was raised. Every time I came back, there were new cranes going up. There were uh, small businesses that I used to go to as a kid that were no longer in business. And then just thousands of people that I grew up around were being pushed out into Skyway, Tukwila, Renton, Federal Way. And these are not people who aren't working hard. You know, there's the, mm-hmm. that narrative on on the other side of the political spectrum that says, you know, people who aren't able to afford things like homes yeah. are just not working hard enough, which is just ridiculous. Right. It's ridiculous. I mean, all the data backs this up that productivity has been going higher and higher mm-hmm. for decades. People are working more and more and their wages are stagnant mm-hmm. and the cost of living around them is skyrocketing and wealth is being entrenched in the hands of fewer and fewer people. So these, this is that that's what's at the heart of so many of the issues that we're seeing around us. And my ability to go where I was living in New York back to Seattle in 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 um, in amounts of time that uh, were separated allowed me to see these changes more dramatically. Yeah. And then lastly, the nail that hit the the, the nail in the coffin for m- me living somewhere else was my mom actually got injured at work. You know, she was working, like I mentioned, two or three jobs at a time Mm -hmm. as a nursing assistant, which is a very laborious, physically intensive job. Mm -hmm. You're lifting patients, you're moving people around all for minimum wage. And she worked until she blew out both her knees and she can't work anymore. And so uh, when I heard about that while I was living in New York, I knew that I had to move back home. Mm -hmm. So it was a combination of seeing the community that I grew up around dramatically changing and people struggling on a public level, but also on a personal level of my family was being impacted by these harsh economic conditions that we've designed. Mm -hmm. So I came back for those reasons to make a change. Um, And when the opportunity came up to run for this position, I jumped at it because I knew it would be a position where I could impact many people all at once for the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so being on the on the county council, has it has it allowed you the platform that you were sort of hoping it would be, or is it um, not quite what you were expecting? It's not quite what I was expecting in the sense that you can never predict. 2020 and 2021. Oh, that's fair. You're right. Yeah. (laughs) I started this job January 1st, 2020. And 
I was expecting the job to be a lot more of, you know, high level systems change. Mm -hmm. You know, you come in and you're like, I'm going to create climate action and save the climate. I'm going to address the housing crisis. I'm going to build public transit and, and all these loftier goals. And then 2020 happens and suddenly the job becomes keeping the ship afloat. Right. Making sure people just don't drown on a day-to-day basis. I remember the first day that the governor announced um, uh, limitations on gatherings and closing certain small businesses, which I fully support to uh, prevent the transmission of the virus. Uh, But immediately that day, we in my office just started getting hundreds of messages from people who were terrified. Mm -hmm. People emailing us saying that this restaurant that my family has been building for generations is about to go under people messaging me on Instagram saying, I don't have money to pay for rent. I'm going to get kicked out of my home. Um, parents finding us, uh, calling us on the phone saying, uh, my kids can't go to school anymore and they're, they have no childcare and, uh, they're getting into trouble because they, they have nowhere to be during the day. And so, the job all of a sudden went from high level systems change to connect people to the immediate resources that they need right now just to survive. Mm-hmm. And it's been a full on sprint and a scramble ever since then to both do that side of the job, which has been uh, increased greatly. And at the same time, addressing the big systemic failures that uh, our governments and our society at large has perpetuated for so long that have been highlighted and exasperated by COVID-19. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, we've always heard or always said for, for many, many years, you know, any of us are sort of one to two paychecks away from living on the street oh, if yeah. something went wrong. And suddenly we have this happening and and a whole lot of people, I mean, thousands of people are suddenly like living that reality of, I have no income, I have no savings, I have no you know, family who can bail me out here, what am I going to do? It's a terrifying, terrifying uh, situation. Mm -hmm. And the scariest part of it all is that we haven't seen anything yet. If we don't fix these fundamental issues that are causing all these problems ASAP, uh, the experiences of everyday people on the ground today are going to (laughs) be, it's going to be a lot worse tomorrow. It's going to be a lot worse 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we have just so much work to do. Do you get the sense from uh, upper, you know, I'll say upper levels, but I don't really mean upper levels, other levels of um, government in King County or in the state or uh, from the business community that they get that, that they're, that they're realizing, you know, how critical these issues are for people? I just think there are a lot of people who um, tend to be more concerned about the symptoms and the optics rather than addressing the root causes. And, you know, there's no greater example. It's not the only example, but there's no greater example than the issue of homelessness. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of people who um, care a lot about encampments and, uh, and litter and, um, you know, any crimes that are associated with, uh, with encampments, uh, which of course I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be concerned about those things. Everybody deserves a right to have 
clean parks. Mm -hmm. Everybody deserves a right to uh, feel safe. Um, at the same time, just addressing the optics mm -hmm. and just addressing the symptoms of these greater underlying forces is not going to actually solve the problem. You know, at the end of the day, the problem is from um, more uh, capital being entrenched in the hands of fewer and fewer people, capital and resources, um, and also uh, our housing crisis mm -hmm. and uh, wages being stagnant and uh, cost of living going up every year. These are these are the issues at the at the heart of it. Uh, but it seems hard to message that to some some people to to say that hey uh, I yes we need to solve this problem but that requires really doing the more difficult work of fixing our tax code of changing our zoning laws so that we can actually build the density that we need to provide housing for a skyrocketing population um, to make sure that some of our social service programs that address mental health, addiction, that those are not tied to volatile revenue sources like mm -hmm. sales tax. We fund everything through sales tax. And if the pandemic hits and people aren't sh out shopping anymore, that revenue source dries up. We suddenly don't have the social services we need at the most critical time mm -hmm. to, that we need it. And so making that case is a lot harder than the easy narrative, which is, hey, let's just lock people up or let's right. just shuffle people from one place to another or just, you know, out of sight, out of mind. For so, I understand those are much easier to convey and they, they play at people's fears more effectively. So we just have an uphill battle in achieving the kinds of things that we need to achieve to actually fix problems rather than just addressing symptoms and optics. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, uh, we see here in Tacoma, and I know it's everywhere, is um, the political leadership gets kind of, I think they get caught in a web of feeling like, well, I can't do anything about that because, you know, we have we have rules. We have a, a municipal code that says this or that says that, mm -hmm. or we have local laws that don't allow us to do this and do that. And it's very frustrating for me that the leaders don't realize that they make the laws and mm -hmm. that they can change the laws and that all of this is is changeable if they have the will to make that change. Evelyn, you, you bring up such a great point, which is that we need more elected officials who are going to be advocates for what's right, even if it's not within their authority or within their jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that my team and I have learned the most in our two years in office, it's that, yes, the King County Council and King County government in general has a ton of restrictions on it. We are creatures of the state. Mm -hmm. And so we really can't do anything unless the state actively gives us the right to do so. For, for example, progressive taxation. The state does not give us the authority to do any kind of progressive taxation. And so we rely ex almost exclusively on regressive sources like sales tax and property tax, which puts us in a constant d dilemma of, do we fund the things that we need at the same time by harming the very people that we're trying to help through these regressive forms? But even though that's true, we can't sit back and say, hey, we can't, mm -hmm. we can't address these things because we're restricted. 
we as elected officials have a platform and we need to use that platform effectively to organize with the people who are most impacted, most struggling, to put the pressure where it's needed to create the change that we want to see. And so if that means using our, my, our office's King County Council seat to organize and put pressure on the state to change things, we will do that. If that means collaborating with other levels of government to get something done that we at, in our, at our level of government can't do, we do that. And so uh, I would love to see that more from all elected officials. Tell me how um, the Build the Bench program and encouraging um, new voices in politics helps with that. Yeah, so here's the problem statement. The problem statement is that the people who whose voice we most need in politics are often the ones who are most marginalized and most removed from politics. So we need people who have experiences being harmed by the way our society is organized right now because they'll know best what the solutions are and they'll have the relationships with the communities that are most harmed so that they can have the trust to organize with them and to create the solutions that are best for these communities. But oftentimes we have so many barriers in place for actual civic participation, especially running for office. Mm -hmm. I mean, even, even if Build the Bench does what it's supposed to do, there are still all of the other factors that prevent people from running for office. Like the fact that, you know, holding a full-time job and running for office at the same time is really challenging. Running for office mm -hmm. is very time consuming. And so the people who are low income or who work two jobs or who work extremely exhausting, physically exhausting jobs, uh, it's gonna be close to impossible for them to also run for office. And so Build the Bench just seeks to make the process at least more accessible. Mm -hmm. And by accessible, I mean, uh, provide the, all of the information that's needed. There's still going to be the resource issue, which we can address separately, but uh, from the knowledge and information standpoint, we want to uh, democratize that information and provide it to as many people as possible. I remember when I was running for office, I don't come from a politically connected family. I'm a first generation college student. Uh, I don't come from money. I actually grew, lived in a homeless shelter at one point as a kid. And so I know how hard it is for people like me or people who have other challenging experiences. I know how hard it is to get involved in politics, especially from an information standpoint. I just didn't know how to run for office. I Googled and Googled and Googled, but I could only find, you know, why I should run for office, what is running for office, and often in big abstract terms and not specific to any particular office. So Build the Bench seeks to answer the question of the how, mm -hmm. and it seeks to do so for the people who probably have the least information and resources to do it. And so we gather once a month on a Saturday and we invite guest elected officials and we go through the how. how literally, how do you run for office and tailor it specifically for the jurisdiction in which you want to run. So we have one coming up in Tacoma and that one is gonna be geared specifically to Tacoma and Pierce County. You know, who are the political consultants you have to talk to in order to run? 
What are the legislative district democratic organizations that you join to find out what the issues are for this area? Uh, who are notable campaign managers and fundraisers in this area? And in that way, we can just provide just a foot in the door. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not going to tell you all the information you need in an hour and a half session, but we'll get you started and we'll tell you who you need to talk to to get going. Yeah, I think that part of the value of that approach is also kind of demystifying it, you know, to, to say to your audience, you know, you can do it. It's yep. doable. You know, we've done it. Um, and, and to say, you know, there's, there's actually, um, you know, there's some regular kind of meat and potatoes approaches to these things and, and identifying, you know, who, who has expertise, who can you talk to, how can you get involved is a really good approach. Absolutely. Demystifying, demystifying, demystifying. Yeah. The process is very misty, if that's a word <laughs> it's, that I It's very misty. <laughs> well, one of the things that I that I see um, that I think is, is a difficulty, or both difficulties, one is this. One is I think that the older establishment, Democratic establishment, I would say Republican establishment too, um, people who are my age and older have a real orientation toward um, – it's not your time yet. You know, mm -hmm. you have to kind of put in put in your time, I don't know, doing what you're supposed to do, you know, whatever magical activities you're supposed to do. And then eventually, you know, when you when you sort of seem a little bit more like me, maybe you're a little bit older, then maybe it's your time. And I think you kind of have to knock that one over really hard in order to get any new thought process and new experience into the system. I absolutely agree because the model that the opponents are describing is uh it sounds like some kind of royalty system right. where uh <laughs> where incumbent elected officials get to choose their own time and tap the next person mm -hmm. uh we don't live in a monarchy we live in a democracy and so uh I, i'm very much believe that every time someone is up for a quote-unquote re-election that seat should be treated as an open seat that both the incumbent and any potential challengers are running for, as opposed to this mindset of this is this this seat belongs to this person mm -hmm. until they decide that it's time for them to go. That that's not the way to do things. I think a healthy competition is great for democracy. I think a competition of ideas is great for democracy. I think getting people into office who uh, historically have been prevented from doing so either legally or economically uh, or emotionally or whatever it might be, uh, that's a good thing to get those new ideas into office. I think so too. I think the other barrier that I see, and I don't know quite how you deal with this, is the fact that there, when there is a lot of value in name recognition. And so there has been a long tradition of, you know, first We'll say in Tacoma, I would say, get on the parks board and spend a couple of years doing that. And then maybe look at running for city council and then maybe look at running for county council or a legislative district. Um, and those earlier positions are not usually compensated in any way. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they're, I think like a school board, you know, school board, you meet a lot. They're long. A lot of work a for lot, a little bit for of not, nothing. Right. And so what we have seen in Tacoma and what I think they've seen in Seattle, too, is you tend to have uh, people going to school board races who are either affluent or more affluent. They tend to be in Tacoma. Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, more people who live on the north end of town. Mm-hmm. And so you don't really get, you know, plus we don't have um, districted races for the school board. It's open to the entire area. So it tends to draw people from the north end of town that are more affluent. And that means your school board doesn't have the benefit of that range of ideas and experiences. It's getting better in Tacoma, I should say. There's some really good people on the school board. But traditionally, I think that's been a difficulty. Yeah, that's that's really hard. That's really hard. Uh, you know, I have a couple friends on the school board and up here in Seattle, and they get a stipend of a few hundred dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Or uh, maybe I'm not getting that number right, but it's really, it's really small. A, yeah. a small amount. Yeah, yeah. So what... Um, who should go to the Build the Bench program? Who is the audience that you would like to most reach? I think really anybody who is interested in running for office or could be interested in running for office or isn't interested in running for office but just wants to learn more about what the process looks like and what it entails should join. I don't uh, exclude anyone. Uh, But at the same time, uh, the people who... I think it's geared toward our people who uh, don't have access otherwise, Mm -hmm. you know, people who come from low income families, people who are from a marginalized group, whether it's people with disabilities or uh, BIPOC community members or people in the LGBTQIA plus community, um, uh, women, whoever it might be that feels like they don't have resources or access otherwise, please feel free. At the same time, we we exclude no one. So mm-hmm. uh, information is free. Uh, please, please join anyone and everyone. Good. Well, I had a couple of folks. Um, we have a Channel 253 member Slack channel, and we are doing these um, – what, are the, what is it, tweet spaces, Twitter spaces, something like that on Monday nights. And one of the suggestions that came up was that if you if you don't want to run for office, but you have friends that you would like to support running for office, then this might also be a really good program so that you can sort of find out how it all works so that you can be the best supporter um, to your friends and try to get more people active. Absolutely. The one thing that I will note for people who are coming on for their friends, which they should do, is prepare to participate. Yeah. This is an interactive workshop. You know, I I personally don't subscribe to uh, the the whole, you know, Germay gets in front of a bunch of people and just talks for an hour and a half. That's mm-hmm. not my style. Uh, so it is interactive. Um, and I'm happy to talk a little bit about what we do and the, uh, when, why it's interactive and what yeah. we do to make it interactive. Yeah, and tell me, tell me about it. Tell me what, uh, how it works. I, th- I think people should, run for office in the way that's most authentic to them. I don't think there's any one particular way to do it. And the more you try to fit into some cookie cutter um, example of what it means to be a politician, the less, the more you're going to lose people because people can sense that immediately Mm -hmm. in politics. And so what we do is begin by telling people to think about their story and their story is you know, the thing that makes them who they are. And I like to make it a very specific story. So not like a overarching, you know, narrative of your life, like, like I had, like I did with you at the beginning, but if you can think of a particular moment or period in your time, that's especially vivid, that paints a picture in the audience members uh, mind, I think that's your hook. 
So you begin with that story. And inevitably, the reason why it sticks in your mind is because it's somehow impactful and important to you. And from there, I think you're able to draw, uh, extract certain uh, public policies that formed whatever challenge or story that you went through. And so, for, for example, for, for me, the story that I had described before is, you know, my mom working as a nursing assistant, injuring herself after decades of working as a minimum wage, my family living in a homeless shelter, et cetera. That's my story. And from there, what public policies can we extract from that story? We need more affordable housing. We need a better living wage. We need anti-displacement measures to keep people in their homes and not have entire neighborhoods being pushed out. And then from there, you talk about why running for this particular office that you're running for is the proper vehicle for advancing those public policies that you described. So the, the structure that we come with is you're going to tell your story. You're going to tell us what change you want to make based on that story and why the public office that you're running for is the proper vehicle for making that change. And so we'll have each of the elected officials tell their version of this three part structure and then it becomes interactive because all of the audience members were going to go into breakout rooms and they're going to have to think about what their story is, what change they want to make and why the public, the office that they're seeking is the proper vehicle to make that change. And that will become your, your pitch. Mm -hmm. That will become your interweaving narrative, your story throughout the rest of your campaign. And for, after that, of course, we're going to go into the actual mechanics, you know, talk to a political consultant, build your campaign team, fundraise, meet with these certain ex organizations, but it all begins with your story and your why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where would you like to see the Build the Bench program go? What are your thoughts on where it evolves? I would love for it to make politics more accessible for everyone. And so what we're working on right now is a website, and this is super short term. I can talk about the long term in a bit, but in the short term, we're going to create a website that makes two things accessible. Number one, if you want to run for office, what are the resources that you need in your specific locality to make that happen? And so you'll be able to go to a website, click a link, and it'll just share with you the names of various political consultants in our state, um, the names of the different legislative district organizations that you can join to find out what the issues are, uh, campaign managers in our state, um, fundraising consultants in our state, one-stop shop for all of the resources and contacts that you need to run for office in Washington state. The other link on that same website will provide a toolkit for anyone in our state who wants to host their own build the bench. So I don't have to be uh, a bottleneck for more build the bench workshops to happen in every corner of our state. And so if you click this other link, you'll be able to find the templates for the flyers, um, the timeline on which we uh, organize a build the bench, um, the presentation decks that we use, because in that way we can have people all over the state who have knowledge of how to build the bench you know, say an elected official in Walla Walla wants to make more people be able to run for office in Walla Walla, uh, that elected official can just go to our website, get the flyer template, get the presentation deck, 
get the whatever else they need and host their own event. So we're just trying to make this whole process more accessible and democratized. And that's in the short term. Mm -hmm. In the long term, I would love for us to have the resources to actually support candidates and to support people uh, as they run for office. I would love for it to also be an, uh, a networking organization where we can say, you know, build the benches hosting a happy hour uh, in X part of the state. Come on out and meet people, meet the movers and shakers in your region, uh, get connected, uh, make some relationships, and you can run for office uh, also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a natural political action committee mm-hmm. eventually. But built grassroots. Grassroots. So that it's mm-hmm. not just me coming top down saying I'm creating a political action committee. Um, uh, but instead, we just have thousands of people around the region who have already benefited, who have already contributed, and they're naturally part of this network. Excellent. All right. Let's take a short break here. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about uh, campaigns and advertising, some of the Um, racist concerns that I've had about some of the ads in recent campaigns. Okay? That sounds great. All right, excellent. Hi, I'm Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma. And I've been a customer of TAPCO Credit Union since I was a kid. Really. My parents set up a savings account for me, and I've had that account with them ever since. In fact, my first credit card wasn't from a big banking conglomerate. It was from TAPCO, and I still have that too. What I appreciate about TAPCO is that they are intensely local. Just like Channel 253, TAPCO keeps its focus on just Tacoma and Pierce County. They have easy to reach locations in the Tacoma area, and when I don't want to drive, I just use online banking. And they still help parents teach their kids good savings habits. The Moolah Kids Club teaches kids about savings, not only through interest on their money, but with special prizes like cupcakes and discounts at local attractions. So if you want to help your kids start a savings account the same way my parents did, check out our local credit union at tapcocu.org. My thanks to TAPCO for their support of this podcast and Channel 253. Hi, we're back. Before we get back into talking with um, Girmai, Let me ask you to please consider becoming a member of Channel 253. It is uh, very affordable, I will say, $4 a month, $40 a year, and you get uh, the satisfaction of funding podcasts like this. But you also get access to our member Slack channel, which is where all the current events are under discussion all the time. Plus, Doug Mackey's very interesting off-the-record podcast for members only. Um, And I hope you will consider doing this. It's a good way of funding uh, civic engagement and local information. All right, Gurmai, I I said I wanted to talk about campaigns and advertising and racism, and I'll give a little context for that. Um, You had an experience this year in a county council race involving incumbent uh, Kathy Lambert where uh, she put out, and uh, surprisingly not an independent expenditure by an outside PAC, but uh, her campaign put out a mailer that kind of made it look like you were the puppet master um, pulling the strings of her, in, of her um, challenger. And um, the mailer had been altered a bit to put you in like a red bow tie, which was an interesting style choice. 
I, I ask this because we had a um, not similar, different situation last uh, year, yeah, last last year, 2020, with uh, Senator Tuana Noble's campaign. Her um, her uh, opposing candidate, um, Steve Oban, a um, mailer was put out in in his support, put out by a number of um, groups that had a picture of her in black and white that I thought pretty clearly had darkened her skin tone and, and looked almost like a mugshot and then, you know, had a picture of him. And it was a really, um, I think it was a dirty trick, and I think it backfired on them. But what are your thoughts on this? Or rather, you know, is this something that, that you know, w- we are still going to be experiencing because I thought a lot of this would have gone away and I'm kind of disheartened to see it coming back to life. I think there are bigger forces at play, Evelyn. You know, if we take a step back and look at the direction our country and even our world are going, it's toward a direction of division Mm -hmm. and it's really scary. At the heart of it is the fact that many of these, um, social media companies, for example, have found out that it's extremely profitable to be divisive, to sensationalize things, to fan the flames of conflict, to spread misinformation, to have in-groups and out-groups. And so you see a lot of uh, people on social media being incentivized to be divisive and to be conflict-oriented and to you know, dunk on the out group. And that's how you get the most likes, the most retweets. Mm -hmm. That's how you get paid. And uh, we've seen Facebook and these other companies being exposed for, you know, not doing more to, um, to quell hate groups, to uh, stop misinformation, to not incentivize sensationalism and conflict. And that's playing out at a, at, you know, that's trickling down to political campaigns as well. Political campaigns uh, are finding that if they can point to an out group, if they can point to an other and scapegoat an other, that works really well with their base. Mm -hmm. On a smaller level, it works with, with their base and on a tailored basis. And so that's why I think um, council member Lambert and her campaign were out there doing a poll testing. You know, before this flyer was sent out, there were actually polls sent out uh, all over uh, District 3 of King County where they were asking, hey, if you found out that uh, uh, Sarah Perry, who is the Democratic opponent, if you found out she was associated with Grimai Zahalai, who wants to, you know, insert scary words, mm-hmm. uh, uh, would you be less likely to vote for her? And then if a certain number of people said yes, because again, uh, scare tactics, sensationalism, conflict uh, are effective on some level, uh, they then went out and put out the flyer. And so I think uh, political ads are being impacted by this general direction that we're seeing on a national and macro level. And it's really scary. I'm glad it backfired in this particular instance because, you know, (laughs) it's not, I I think that messaging was probably really effective with a particular group of people, 
but on a broad King County level, people don't want to see that. Yeah. People want us to work collaboratively to solve problems, Mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. They don't want to see all these sideshows. They don't want politics to be a circus. And so uh, I'm glad it backfired. Mm -hmm. You know, I think sometimes and I'm thinking more about social media posts than necessarily political mailers, but I think that there's um, always that internal debate of, you know, do I respond? Do I uh, call this out in some way? Do I ignore it because it's a troll? Um, What do you think is the most effective way of dealing with this type of, um, I would say, racist, but, you know, really... um, Sort of, you're right. I mean, the the division is the point. So this highly divisive, uh, racist behavior. How how do you best respond? Do you think? I think it depends who is the proliferator of the racist deed. You know, um, in this particular instance, if it is an elected official with a platform, I think it needs to be denounced, mm-hmm. and I think it needs to be denounced publicly and with uh, coalitions. I don't think we should you know, stoop to that level and start name calling the other side. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's one thing that I was very careful not to do because I'm not trying to further uh, bring down the public dialogue into the, into the dirt. That's not what I'm trying to do. And so I kept it high level and said, she needs to apologize and denounced it and made sure that the people who have endorsed her and given her money that, they also do the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to go, you need to hit them where the money is because <laughs> in, in a lot of cases, that's really the only form of accountability for people is, oh, if I start losing money and endorsements and I start losing political power, all of a sudden now I'm apologetic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, be strategic, keep it classy, don't go down into the dirt, uh, but denounce it and denounce it strongly. Um, if we're talking about just random online social media trolls, I have a very different strategy for them. And that is to just mute them or block them Mm -hmm. because uh, (laughs) I'm sure you know this very well, Evelyn, but um, there are, there are a lot of people out there who are not good faith actors. I have no problem engaging somebody who disagrees with me if they're doing so in good faith. Um, And I do so often as Mm -hmm. part of my job. I have constituents who reach out to me disagreeing with stuff and I engage them. But these social media trolls often who are anonymous or who uh, are robots or who are from, uh, you know, outside of this country and outside of my district who just have uh, ulterior motives. uh, That's not somebody. Those aren't people that you want to spend a lot of your energy and time engaging with, in my opinion. Yeah, I I agree with you completely. I think that. the important thing is to try to look at the issue objectively initially and assess, you know, what is going on here and then what can be a very effective response. And I think you're right with the trolls, especially ones that may be bots or just um, you know, <coughs> difficult people from the world. There's not much you can do. I mean, that's not going to be a productive discussion ever um, with uh, with actual people in your local area. And when there is a mailer or something like this going out. I think this is a role that allies can play as well. I think sometimes it is difficult for the actual candidate to be able to stand up and say, hang on a second here, this is really problematic. They do, and I think that's – and there's nothing wrong with that. But 
I also think that someone who is a little bit outside of the campaign can take on the role of kind of arbiter of mm-hmm. morality or, or uh, appropriate behavior and say, and call and say, you know, here's, as long as you do it very factually, you know, here is this mailer, here's what it does. This is not true. And I agree with you a hundred percent that identify where's the money come from. And if it's come from funders and campaign contrib- contributors or PAC contributors to say, you know, is this what you stand for? Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. this is what you're showing the world. This is the face you want to show the world. I'm not sure it is. Yep. But I think it's really important to find an effective way to, um, in in kind of a, in, I won't say non-confrontational, but a little bit non-confrontational, in sort of a straight, uh, evidence-based manner to point out what's going on, and then to yep. say, you know, this is not acceptable. It's really a testament to how effective it is for us to stand up for one another even when it's not our particular group or our particular family member or whoever it is Mm -hmm. that's being attacked. Because it's one thing for me and all the black people in King County, for example, to stand up and say, this is racist. It's a whole lot more effective if multiracial coalitions and business leaders and uh, people who have endorsed her uh, stand up and say, this is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's just, uh, it's very powerful for us to stand up for one another. Yeah. Well, let me ask you um, two things before you go. Uh, first, local politics or statewide politics. So we have a new Secretary of State being named today, Senator Steve Hobbs. Thoughts on that? I don't actually know the senator yeah, me very, neither. very well. So um, I wish him nothing but the best, and I'm sure Governor Inslee had all the best in mind and knows more about this topic than I do, so I trust his judgment. I personally have worked with um, our King County Elections Director, Julie Wise, uh, and I thought she would have made a great yeah. Secretary of State uh, because she has led one of the most effective uh, elections departments in the country. And she's constantly at the forefront of voting innovation and making sure that more and more people become enfranchised and are able to vote. And so, uh, that would have been my pick, Mm -hmm. but then again, I don't know, uh, the other gentleman and I'm sure if I knew him, I would be very supportive as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, Julie Weiss is very highly respected. I was, um, I'm certainly, interested in our uh, um, Pierce County auditor, um, Julie Anderson, also would be an excellent choice. I, I would tell you, I'm, I am a, I'm disappointed because I would l- like to see someone who has that election expertise right. uh, in the position. I just think at this moment in time, um, that's what we need. But uh, we'll, we will see what happens with that one. Mm-hmm. The other thing, um, Jeremiah, I wanted to ask you was, is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to talk about or anything um, that you want to bring up? Well, going back to Build the Bench, mm-hmm. I don't think I shared the details with your audience. The next Build the Bench, which is geared toward Tacoma and Pierce County, uh, will have guest speakers, State Senator Tawana Nobles, uh, State Senator Yasmin Trudeau, and 27th LD Chair Justin Camerata, I believe that's how to pronounce his last name. So the big three leaders in Tacoma and Pierce County, again, we're going to teach you how to run for office and connect you to the resources that you need to do so. 
And if you would like to join, it'll be on Saturday, November 20th at noon. Saturday, November 20th at noon. And you can RSVP by going to electgermay.com slash bench. That's elect, G-I-R-M-A-Y dot com slash B-E-N-C-H, electgermay.com bench. You can RSVP there Saturday, November 20th at noon. Hope to see you all there. Great. All three of those people are excellent storytellers. I think yep. you'll have a very engaging program. I will put a link to that in the show notes uh, for this episode as well so that people can find it there too. Awesome. Thank you so all much right. for your time. Evelyn. Thank you, Jeremiah. Really you were just a, a delight to talk with, and I hope that I, I will have a chance to do so again. Thank you so much. I'm sure we will. I'm sure have we a good will. day. Bye-bye. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.